Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. The aftermath of the heist was chaos. Gangsters hightailed it out of town to avoid any more attention. While journalists scrambled to get details about the robbery... J.D. Hudson began his investigation. He was concerned that the press and some of his fellow officers were pinning the crime on the wrong man. And Chicken Man was desperate to stay alive and do anything in his power to keep his family safe. These people were talking like killing all of us. I mean, me, you... And your mom. I can't let my family get killed because of this. I said Black Mike got robbed. Then I had all these people calling me, including FBI, and want to know who was the Black Mike. You have any idea who would have pulled stuff like this? I don't have no ideas at all. The reason they were mad because they were known. Everybody knew them. And that was the last guy that was robbed. I think he had a chance to leave the New York and die. From iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures, this is Fight Night. I'm Jeff Keating. When I spoke with JD during our interview in 2002, he speculated that as the robbers were fleeing the party, Frank Moten had one of his bodyguards waiting in the car outside. When Bookie Brown and Lillian Dabney exited in a rush... We think that bodyguard captured them and tortured them for information on the rest of their crew. According to the hustlers, there was one guy out of New York who had two bodyguards. And one bodyguard never went into the building or the house or place he went into. Okay. That bodyguard stayed outside. Okay. And that was the last guy that was robbed. The last group that came out, he followed us. Okay. And what I figured happened is that when they left, the robbers left, and these last two people, they grabbed them, got the damn money, whatever was in the goddamn pillowcase, 
They took the damn shotgun from the motherfuckers and that damn portable automatic and one ski mask and little Halloween mask, okay? But whoever caught Bucket Brown took him out and blew his goddamn head off and that girl's head off. And that was just the beginning of the killings. Immediately after the million-dollar heist, Chicken Man struggled with his state of mind. Here's Gordon Williams Jr. recalling his father's mood. The day after the robbery, my dad was really down. He was really sad. He was blaming himself, but he didn't know what to do. My mother tried to comfort him, but you couldn't connect with him. He was really just out of it. We were scared. My mom was scared. I was scared. Even being a teenager, I was scared to death. My dad had to tell us, you know, y'all might have to leave because these people were talking about killing all of us. I mean, me, you, and your mom. J.D. Hudson and Chicken Man remember that time well. I knew they were going to kill him. No, I didn't know that. I knew they were going to kill him. And uh, I knew I was set up just for that. And the police were going to be responsible because they kept on... Bless this name out there. Yeah. The police ain't FBI. My dad mentioned to me after the robbery and everything, there were things that he wasn't aware of. First of all, he told me he had no knowledge of what had happened or what was about to happen. But also that there were people there that had ordered hits on him. And I was like, so you were never scared? He said, yeah, I was scared. But they had ordered hits on him. And that's something I never heard until later on. When we start hearing about stories about my dad being killed, it just blew us away because we couldn't believe it because we read the same stories about Chicken Man was dead. One of my mother's sister called and said, why didn't you call us and tell us that Gordon had been killed? And my, I remember my mother telling my husband's not dead. I said, you sure? I said, they're saying it. It's in the paper. He's, he's dead. We couldn't even digest it because it was just, it was so unreal. Gordon Jr.'s aunt called his mom and said, Why didn't you tell us that Gordon is dead? His mom said, What are you talking about? He ain't dead. But his aunt said, Yes, he is. I just read it in the paper. It seems she fell for the same misinformation that I did when it came to the death of Chicken Man. Meanwhile, Chicken Man made himself visible as possible, knowing this was the best strategy to clear his name. Most hustlers who pulled off such a stunt would be hiding and running from the police and the people they had robbed. But Chicken Man did the opposite. He did, however, make a call to his attorney, Joe Salem. Joe Salem was real close to my dad. Joe Salem was the one that, whenever my dad got in trouble, you know, Joe Salem would get him out. Him and Joe Salem was very tight. He was like family. Joe would come to the house, and he'd talk to my dad, sit down, tell my dad, listen, you're being investigated. You better slow down what you're doing. They got open case on you. So that's when my dad had to go to WSB TV because he wanted to declare his innocence because people were coming at us. Everybody was saying, it was serious. Everybody was saying, he did it. He did it. We know he did it. And he told us, I'm going on TV to declare my innocence because I didn't do this. I don't want to do it, but I got to do it in order to save my family, in order to protect y'all. Otherwise, they're going to kill us. This is the audio from the WSB-TV interview that Chicken Man recorded a couple of days after the robbery in 1970. 
that the woman that it was, but the woman that risked the house. So I found out after all this was over, that each person that entered the door, she had a shotgun laying on her head to tell her what to say and what to do. Do you have any idea who would have pulled a stuff like this? I don't have no ideas at all. I wish y'all would wait till y'all get some before y'all. I mean, I guess you know that this is like, it's a, a death warrant for me for something that I don't even know anything about. I repeat that I know nothing about it. I seen nothing, and I wasn't any part that I played that, that had anybody victimized at all. And in fact, I feel like I was more victimized than anybody else was there. And one thing for sure, $971 that I lost, <laughs> I wouldn't even know the man to see to get that back. That will clarify that I don't know nothing, and I didn't see nothing, so I wouldn't remember if I said it again. Chicken Man was scared and upset that the press implied he set up the robbery with little concern of the consequences these statements had on his life. He once told me that the press were the police, the judge, and the jury. This seemed to be a perfect example of that idea. It was all over the goddamn national news, international news. I said that to uh, a newspaper reporter who called me from Rome, Italy. And next thing I know, I read in the paper that the Black Mafia got robbed. Yeah. That I said the Black Mafia got robbed. Then I had all these uh, people calling me, including the FBI, and some other people wanted to know who was the Black Mafia. Someone robbed the Black Mafia. A spectacular crime. And Chicken Man found himself at the center of the media frenzy that followed. Newspaper headlines all over the world mentioned the Ali Quarry fight. But story after story highlighted the million-dollar robbery. And Gordon Chicken Man Williams was the poster boy. Chicken Man did the only thing he knew would keep him and his family safe. He flew to New York to meet with Frank Moten and the Council of Twelve, right into the lion's den. And he had no idea if he would come out alive. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chicken Man had to prove his innocence at any cost. And it didn't help that the press and several police officers were convinced he was responsible for setting up the robbery. Here I am with him in 2003, getting his side of the story. Gordon, during those first few days, it's unusual because a lot of people might think you may want to go in hiding, but you said you kept yourself very visible. So talk about your uh, feelings and, and your movements, let's say, in the few nights after the robbery. Well, I knew that I had nothing to do with it. That's the only thing that really freed my spirit. Now, was I subject to be murdered or killed? Yes. Why? Because the newspaper portrayed it that way. Having Chicken Man's house and Chicken Man gave the party, and I didn't give the party. My instruction from, from the people who did uh, use the house, not for me not to tell nobody in Atlanta, I didn't invite nobody. I went to New York and sit down with some of the guys that was a uh, major player in what the party was going to be, because it, was, it really was about gambling. And then they assured me. They had made it clear, and every time my name come up, they would throw me down. I find that rewarding for me to be able to hear that from my comrade. That's why I made myself clear, I mean visible, so it wouldn't be misunderstood, because the people thought I had something to do with it. Chicken Man flew to New York to face the major players, including Frank Moten. Remember Frank, known as the Black Godfather, was a member of the Council of Twelve. Frank did business with other high-level criminals like Nicky Barnes and Frank Lucas. And I always wondered how many other big-time players were at the after-party when it got robbed. But Frank Moten was an ally to Chicken Man, and he vouched for him. And Frank told me, he said, listen, Gordon, didn't nobody think you'd done that. He said, Gordon, there's no way them people that jury can surface and we don't know it. That's a lot of money. Frank told me, he said, listen, Gordon, one thing we know is that too many people know about it. 
so it won't be long. And if they can't go to the judge, though, they can't pawn it. So we're going to put the people on notice. But we had the cat by the tail. Uh, but the one thing I did know, some of the biggest racketeers in the country were there, if not the biggest. I, I seriously doubt there's any uh, big-time racketeer who was not in Atlanta, and most of whom uh, came to that party. Yeah. And uh, that's why I coined the phrase, I said that uh, these guys are crazy. They're going to get killed because they robbed the black mafia. Yeah. J.D. seems to take credit for coining the phrase black mafia, but we're not exactly sure when this term was first used. The title was associated in the late 60s and early 70s to a criminal organization in Philadelphia whose activities range from extortion, gambling, prostitution, and ultimately political murders. But the members of the black mafia he is referring to were from several other cities like Detroit, Kansas City, and New York. J.D. believed that one of Frank Moten's bodyguards caught Bookie Brown and a lady named Lillian Dabney as they fled the robbery. Soon after, the police found their dead bodies at Proctor Creek, just miles away from Handy Drive. Around this time, J.D. and his team found their first piece of evidence. Can I be behind some bushes, the hedges, on the right-hand side of the uh, house, there was a bag, a Catholic bag, okay, a duffel bag in a way, with a, with a hammer, with a handle on it, and uh, that was a forty-five revolver, a sawed-off shotgun, a couple of masks, a walkie-talkie, and two large pillowcases. The witness told me that, that they said a woman was involved, right? That they could hear her heels clicking uh, on the floor. Right. That they would rob the men, putting jewelry, taking jewelry from the women, and putting them in a pillowcase. Now you've got a duffel bag with a uh, 45, with shot-off shotgun, yes. with pillowcases, with some masks. So now you've got the beginning of the case. We checked the pawn shop from which the gun was purchased on Edgewood Avenue. Across from the municipal market that in there. The gun that was found in the duffel bag. Yeah. Gotcha. And learned it was purchased by Houston Hammond. Used his own driver's license ID to purchase them. Okay. So we got his butt. Once J.D. knew that Houston Hammonds used his ID to buy the shotgun from a pawn shop, he and his partner, Joe Amos, decided to stake out a part of town that Houston Hammonds was known to frequent. With a bit of luck, they spotted him while they were eating lunch. Here's JD filling me in on the details. So we got his butt. I got him an office and he would tell us the thing. Since he wouldn't tell us who's involved, I called a press conference and drug him out the cell and stuck me in front of the cameras. I said, you tell me who are with you. I'm going to make an announcement that you told on everybody. I'm going to tell the guys that you uh, was a part of the robbery. Here I am with J.D. at his house in 2003 when I questioned his account versus what was reported in the newspaper. 
Now let me just stop you for one second because in one of the articles he said he was tricked into buying that gun. Tricked his ass. Tricked his ass. He's a drug addict. He's a drug addict. Gotcha. And so I told him, I'm going to call the news conference and tell him who you are, let the boys know you were the robbers, and I'm going to turn you loose. Unbelievable. That's going to scare him even more. And so that's through about my office. And you did do that because I've got the article where it mentions his name. Well, I threw him out of my office, but he begged, he beat on the door and begged and cried. Gotcha. He and cried. Hell, he, he would have been killed. Right. So J.D. threatened to go on the news and tell the world that Houston Hammonds was responsible for the robbery, hoping this would scare him into a confession. Okay. When you told him what you were going to do, did he reconsider and say, I'm willing to talk? He told him everything. Everything. In his mind, in his words, what did he say happened? Well, he told me where they bought the walkie-talkies. Okay. Where did they buy those? At Radio Shack on Peace Street Street. Uh, what else did he say? They bought the uh, mask from a five and ten store on the corner of Butler Street in Edgewood. Okay. Bought the shotgun over at uh, Pawn Shop on Lee Street. Right. They bought several guns. And they bought the hacksaw from a hardware store on Lee Street. Yeah. Right. They thought the guns often failed, and I had this Halloween mask. Here's J.D. explaining to Chicken Man why the robbers had to wear masks. See, that's why they had the masks on, because y'all would have known them. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I said, one person didn't have a mask on. Yeah. And I think that was that boy from Newcastle, New York, who just got back to Atlanta, got came to Atlanta. He grew up in uh, one of Robbins, Georgia. Oh, okay. And he was uh, the brother no, the first cousin. McKinley Rogers. McKinley Rogers. They were, there were three relatives involved. We knew. It was shocking, as a matter of fact, at the caliber of the guys who pulled off the robbery. The guys told us how cold they were. And they were cold as ice, threatening to kill everybody. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. 
Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Houston Hammonds claimed to J.D. and Joe Amos during their interrogation that he was paid to purchase the shotgun by James Henry Hall. Now they had another name to investigate. Even more incredible was a piece of paper they found in Houston's pocket. It had a telephone number and extension on it that led the two detectives to a hotel suite. No one was in that hotel suite, but luckily, J.D. and Amos stumbled into a group of robbery victims before they had a chance to leave town. J.D. convinced them he was not interested in who they were or what they did, but only in who robbed them. Reluctantly, they agreed to talk. The main piece of information he received was that the four of them calculated their losses at a total of $78,000. I did the math. If there were approximately 100 people at the after party, that puts the total haul at just under $4 million. Staggering numbers. J.D. and Amos were unable to find James Henry Hall at first, but they were able to trace purchases he made at a pawn shop on Marietta Street. A 30-gauge shotgun, a knife, a hacksaw, hacksaw blades, and some sandpaper. Two new names were added to their list as well. Charles Lee and Baby Ray Humphreys. Here's J.D. back in 2002 talking about this young crew. back to that night. These men are involved in the robbery. How did they find out that the party was going on? All these guys hung around the pool room. But these are not big time high rollers. No. no. These guys are these are punks. How old approximately are these guys? Anywhere from 20 to 30. But none of them probably in their late 30s or 40s. The one guy from Texas was older than that. I think he did organize it. And what was his name? His name was Dorsey. Nobody connected to that to me The name J.D. just mentioned was Emerson Dorsey. His conclusion was that Dorsey was the mastermind of the heist. 
From our research, we believe it was another hustler from New York we discussed earlier named Richard Wheeler, a.k.a. Cadillac Richie. But here's J.D. explaining his speculation. Emerson Dorsey. Emerson Dorsey. The hustlers connected him. They talked to me. So why was this guy Dorsey never connected? We could not no, connect him. And, and just because of evidence or lack thereof? Or? Because he was not there. Okay. But he was at the site. The hustlers told me that everywhere that Emerson Dorsey went, this thing is a down woman, I believe they call her. Oh, a what? A down woman? Down woman, okay. That's his main woman. Right. That everywhere he went, she was with him. That night, she was not at the fight, which was unusual to them. Now, Emerson Dorsey lived in New York for 25, 30 years. What was his profession? He was a hustler. He was a hustler. Was he big time? Big time hustler. Okay. And... The word I got was Shirley Chisholm was instrumental in running him out of New York. The what? Shirley Chisholm, the congresswoman. Shirley Chisholm was an American politician, educator, and author. In 1968, she became the first black woman elected to the United States Congress, representing New York's 12th congressional district for seven terms from 1969 to 1983. In the 1972 United States presidential election, she became the first black candidate for a major party's nomination for the president of the United States and the first woman to run for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination. She must not have liked Emerson Dorsey at all or any of his criminal activities because according to J.D., she was integral in running him out of New York. Here's J.D. telling me what happened to this big-time hustler. Is Emerson Dorsey still alive? Oh, no. I'm going to tell you about him. Okay, so we got this down woman that isn't at the fight with him the night of the party. And, and the hustlers noticed that. They say, Emerson's down woman wasn't with him. There was something wrong with that. Now, Emerson had pulled a similar robbery in New York years earlier, and they all suspected him. Is she at the party? Don't know. We know what her name is, or a nickname, or a real name. No, I never got her name. But this tips off the hustlers. In yeah. retrospect, I got gotcha. you. And what we're thinking, in retrospect, this is just all something we're trying to put together, is that McKinley, James, Houston, Charles, and maybe a couple of other people were working for Emerson Dorsey. Working for him may not be the right. Okay. Let me phrase it right. Okay. I think that Emerson may have gotten in together and organized the robbery, directed the robbery, set it up. But it could have been more of a revenge thing, but getting right out of New York. But who would he be getting revenge on? The New York hustlers who's in the body. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I got was that robbed. Okay, so he was run out of New York by not just one hustler, by a bunch of hustlers. Well, I think he had a choice of leaving New York or dying. And he just gave him a choice of leaving New York or going to jail. He moved to Atlanta. His family lived in Atlanta, so he was here. He came in and decided he was going to take over the lottery in Atlanta. And one of the prime hangouts for two or three of the big hustlers was uh, a pool room in Hunter Street, right around Mason Turner. And he had started hanging out there and recruiting two or three guys, young guys, to work for him. Mean, He's also a drug man, a heroin man. J.D. thought that Emerson Dorsey 
had organized some local pool hustlers for the robbery, but he had no evidence to prove it. And just as the investigation seemed like it would fizzle out, he and Joe Amos caught a break. Using some information obtained from the streets, they got the address of James Henry Hall. And now, they knew where the stash house was and where the robbers were hiding out. Fight Night is a joint production from iHeartRadio, Will Packer Media, and Doghouse Pictures in association with Psychopia Pictures. Produced and hosted by Jeff Keating. Executive producers are Will Packer, James Lopez, Kenny Burns, Dan Bush, Lars Jacobson, and Noel Brown. Supervising producer is Taylor Shacoin. Story editors are Noel Brown and Dan Bush. Written by Jeff Keating and Jim Roberts. Edited by Matt Owen. Mixing and sound design by Jeremiah Kulani Prescott. Music written and performed by the Diamond Street Players. Additional music by Ben Lovett. Audio archives courtesy of WSB News, Film, and Videotape Collection, Brown Media Archives, University of Georgia Libraries. Special thanks to Dr. Maurice Hobson and David Davis. Fight Night is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.